Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, welcome back. So I want to take some time today to get into some of the nitty-gritty numbers of the silver supply and demand market, specifically the supply side the mining supply coming out to the market each year. Because let's be honest, I focus a ton on other things that affect the price of silver and the silver and gold markets, whether it's what the Fed is up to, what the economy is up to, what the governments are up to. I talk about corporate debt, government debt, consumer debt. I talk about all that, and those are all really crucial to my thesis about why I think silver and gold are gonna be such good assets to preserve your wealth, but also why I think they're going to appreciate in value, real value, not just uh, um, not just like dollars, but, but actually purchasing power. However, the supply and demand side of things also plays into this overall uh, thesis, this overall uh, conviction of mine about silver and gold. Basically that, you know, in the future, when, when we do see a large move up in silver and gold, when we do see monetary policy really fall apart, uh, when we do see the economy fall apart, that much of the world is going to find themselves in at least an acute shortage of physical silver. Silver that is going to be in high demand by manufacturers that want to continue to produce phones and TVs and vehicles and houses electronics and all of that as well as investors that are looking to protect themselves and let's be honest there's gonna be a lot of people looking to to uh, buy into what at that point will be a, an asset that's moving quite quickly to the upside with quite a bit of momentum a lot of people in the West a lot of people in investment uh, communities like to buy into uh, that the next hot asset they generally don't buy when there's blood on the streets like uh, stackers who've been stacking silver at these pretty low prices for some of us for many years now. So I want to talk about this because I, like I said, I don't talk about it as much as I'd like to. Specifically, there's an article that I'm going to link below in the description to uh, srsrockreport.com written by the always excellent Steve San Angelo, who I've actually had on here uh, a couple times in the past. And in this article, he's talked about an overall decline in silver production among the top three silver producers in the world, Mexico, Peru, and Chile, as well as a pretty significant drop in production in Russia, which is another major worldwide silver producer. This is 2019. You know, we don't have all the final numbers, obviously, for 2019, because we're only in October here, towards the end of October. But this is really telling, you know, the, the projections that we can make from these numbers in terms of yearly silver production. Uh, in fact, Steve San Angelo has a projection for 2019 versus 2018, and we're looking about at about a uh, 6 million ounce drop in mining production for silver, which sounds like a lot. When you look at the overall numbers for silver production, though, it's 
it's less than 1%. We're talking about a drop from about 856 to 850 million ounces, which again, sounds like a lot, but again, less than 1%. However, what's really powerful about this drop is that this isn't a one-off. This isn't a, an odd year where silver production is declining. No, quite the opposite, actually. Uh, silver production peaked silver mining production peaked uh, a couple of years ago, a handful of years ago, and has since declined roughly, if, if this production for 2019 is correct, about 54 million ounces, which is several percentage points. I'm not gonna do the math, you know, probably about 5% decline. We'll go with that as a round number. 5% decline in mining production over a handful of years, five, six years, I forget the exact year in which mining actually peaked. And that's pretty significant because we live in a world where silver is always in high demand. I mean, that hasn't changed a whole lot along the way. Investment demand has, well, I'll get to that in a second. Industrial demand has been pretty steady, if not rising along that time period, the last five years, despite this decline in production. Investment demand is a bit of a different story. You know, since 2016, silver demand has sort of fallen off of a cliff. Just being honest, uh, especially here in the West, the United States, Canada, Australia, if you want to call, call them part of the West, and, and Europe, and yeah, it's it's taken a hit. That's not to say that people don't buy it. Obviously, we do. Plenty of people do. It's just far less than what it was from oh, you know, 2009 to, to 2016. However, that's not to say that people, period, just are not buying silver around the world. In fact, you know, I did a video recently, a podcast about India, who uh, continues to produce very high, or, or produce, import very high amounts of, of physical silver. And yeah, some of it's for production of, of electronics and whatnot, but a lot of it is for investment purposes, whether that's coins, bars, jewelry. It's very common in that culture. I've, I've, I've sort of covered that at length in the past, but they're continuing to sort of, uh, I guess, pick up the slack that that the uh, US and, and Europe has has created as a result of our, our drop-off in buying habits. And so I find this really interesting and, and I don't see this trend necessarily changing anytime soon uh, in, in terms of, of silver mining production. There's nothing that would suggest that we're gonna see a significant increase in the coming years. Because as a whole, we continue to see chronically low prices. Now, yes, you know, even as I'm recording this video, silver's up actually quite a bit just in the last 48 hours. You know, in 2019, silver has seen a pretty decent rally, but I don't think it's enough to have large amounts of capital being spent on increase in, in silver production at, at primary silver mines. And, and I know what some people are gonna say, you know, like the mines that mine silver as a as a byproduct, which are primarily zinc, lead, copper, and, and gold mines. What about them? They're the bulk of silver mining production. And to that, I would say, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. And I see that as a risk as well. When you have a high amount of production concentrated as a as a you know byproduct, basically, what happens when the primary product at those mines suddenly is in less demand. I'm talking about in the next recession. Uh, my longtime viewers are no stranger to this 
this argument, but basically it goes like this. You know, the, the, the saying goes that in the next recession, silver demand is gonna take a hit. That's a bit of a no-brainer, or at least silver industrial demand, because there's gonna be less demand for new houses, for cars, for solar panels, for cell phones, TVs, etc. That makes sense. However, it's very possible that silver production is going to take an even greater hit because, hey, guess what? Silver production or silver demand, about 50% of it is industrial in nature. Very sensitive to economic growth. However, all of those byproduct metals, with the exception of gold that I talked about, uh, zinc, copper, lead, those are all highly sensitive to industrial growth or, or contraction, economic growth or contraction because that's basically their entire demand, right? You know, you could say that, you know, copper or, or zinc have a little bit of monetary demand for, for minting purposes, but for the most part, it's it's industrial in nature, which means that in the next recession, you, you get a slowdown in, in uh, demand for those metals and thus a slowdown in production, slowdown in mining. Mines close or they slow down production, they cut jobs, they cut costs. And a side effect of that is going to be a, a cut in silver production. And then there's the other side of it, the primary silver mining, which continues to be plagued by, by low prices. It's just difficult for companies to invest in new mines or discovering new mines or new production, whatever, when prices are so low. The, the upside is it's just so limited from there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Their perspective. They're not buying this as a speculative asset. They're not, you know, mining to, to preserve their wealth like you and I might be when, when it comes to buying silver. No, they're, they're looking at their risk-benefit analysis. And what that shows them is that since 2011, silver has moved to the downside. About a year ago, it turned around. A new bull market, in my opinion, began. But... The move to the upside thus far has been very limited. And in terms of getting new silver production online in a lot of these mines, we're not talking about a matter of weeks or months. I mean, this is, it takes a long time to open up a new silver mine or any mine for that matter. Another problem that I think is going to continue to plague these uh, silver mines, whether they're byproduct or primary, is, is two problems. First of all, ecological concerns. We've already seen this in, in some uh, silver mines in especially like Central America, Mexico, etc. Ecological concerns. Uh, whether it's indigenous peoples or just natives of the country that, which are generally more third world in nature, they're, they're kind of sick and tired of large international corporations taking advantage of their resources and leaving behind a, a wake of, of ecological, environmental disaster. We've seen that many, many times 
in the last 10 years in, in a lot of these third world countries. And what we're seeing is that a lot of these locals are, are stepping up. They're, they're saying, no, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. And I think there's a huge risk going forward for a lot of these mines, mines which tend to be dirty. They tend to be, you know, there's a, I'm sure there's a clean way to mine a lot of these metals, including silver, but it's oftentimes a lot more expensive and, and much less cost effective. And so, of course, if they can get away with it, they're going to take the more risky, the more environmentally damaging route. But another problem that I think they're going to continue to deal with is uh, societal problems, societal unrest. You know, even in just the last week or two, South America and Central America have been at the epicenter of a ton of, of social unrest, which I don't think is going to necessarily stop anytime soon. Right? Did you see this story out of Mexico? I mean, it's, it's pretty well known that Mexico is sort of the murder capital of the world. Uh, you know, Chicago and Baltimore are maybe close seconds, but for real, I'm sure there's other countries around the world that are worse than Chicago and Baltimore. But obviously Mexico has it pretty bad, and a lot of that has to do with cartels and drug trade and, and all of that. Okay? Did you see this story from like last week? It was a... It was in a Mexican city, you know, I don't know, a couple hundred miles south of the U.S. border, where El Chapo's, El Chapo, the famous drug kingpin, his son, one of his sons, was holed up in like a, a safe house, basically, in this city. And the Mexican National Guard went in to get him. And long story short, they failed. There was like two separate, very major firefights, right? You can look at this on Twitter. There's a ton of videos. There's a video of somebody like an apartment building leaning over the out the window or over the balcony and and down below you see this uh this technical basically uh, pickup truck with like a 50 cal in the back and that's not mexican national guard that was cartel right uh that's a big problem and i don't think it's it's specific just to mexico right you see uh in places like peru in Chile, uh, very high levels of societal unrust as of late. And, and if it gets bad enough, that's absolutely going to impact silver production in those countries, right? And so I think that's another risk that people just don't take into consideration. And so anyways, looping back to this uh, talk about silver supply, uh, I think the risks um, are are definitely to the downside to, to put it simply there's is there upside potential for these silver mines absolutely absolutely there is i mean if we honestly think that silver is going to fifty dollars hundred dollars yeah the upside potential for silver miners is enormous but it doesn't matter or doesn't mean that that is how these corporations see it even if they're bullish on silver, the risks are numerous, whether it's ecological or societal, or just the risk that, hey, they start up a new silver mine and the silver price takes a little bit too long to get moving. And that's all the supply side of it. Supply continues to decline. It is totally understandable why that's the case. Eventually, this is going to catch up to the actual market for silver, the price for silver. I mean, right now, obviously it's not. Right now, it's it's uh, pretty much a, a paper market. 
Is it fully manipulated? Is it fully controlled by banks and whatnot? There's disagreement about that. I would tend to say no, not fully. But with that being said, it, most of the moves in the silver market and the gold market are based on economic data, uh, moves by central banks, federal reserves, moves among uh, currencies in relation to each other. And some of it is, is investors uh, betting on the price going up or whatever, uh, momentum trade and whatnot, technicals. But this talk about the, the physical supply and demand market, it's, it's basically absent from the discussion. It doesn't even enter into the discussion. But that's going to change at some point. At some point, the global uh, market for silver is going to run into an acute shortage. An acute meaning relatively short. I'm not talking many, many years. I mean, there's a potential for that too. But I'm talking about a shortage that may, may last a number of weeks or months in which we'll see the price of silver rise significantly. Because when it's all said and done, there will be people that will be willing to pay the price and wait the time period for their silver to be delivered in exchange for that protection, that monetary protection. There's going to be corporations that you know, will be out of the question of going to not buy that silver because they need it to, to produce their iPhone, their TV, their, their electric vehicle, whatever. And there's going to be a lot of investors that are going to be piling on as, in, in, as a momentum trade. And, and I think it's going to move up very quickly because this silver market is so tight because of this falling supply coming up in the market, as well as just the overall size of the market is very small, right? When you count for scrap uh, supply coming up to the market as well as uh, mining supply, you know, it's, it's roughly a billion ounces, you know, a thousand million ounces. A billion ounces, though, it sounds like a lot, and it is, but we're only talking about 18 to 19 billion dollars at current market value. I mean, that's less than the market cap of a company like Ford or Tesla. I mean, the U.S. government racks up that amount of debt in like a couple seconds. Okay, not a couple seconds, but you know, a couple days. <laughs> we're running about a trillion dollar deficit. That's a tiny market. And when it gets moving, and when people realize that, hey, they want the physical kind and not just the, the paper silver, and when you get a revitalization of this, this stacker market for silver, things are gonna move very quickly. But don't get me wrong, I'm not looking at silver as a speculative asset. I'm not looking at it as a get-rich-quick asset. And additionally, when I talk about these big moves up, I'm also not talking about a move up that last uh, couple days, a couple weeks, a month or two. Silver is going to find a point where it's overvalued, overvalued relative to gold, overvalued relative to its fundamentals. And that's going to be the time to maybe trade some of that silver for gold or trade some of it for the stock market or bonds or whatever you want to buy, real estate, land, sure. Guns, ammo, I don't know what you guys are into. But I also don't think that that spike, that rationally high price is going to be followed up by many, many years of really low prices. No, I think it's gonna find a new normal that's much, much higher than what it is right now because of all of these other factors I'm talking about uh, on, on the monetary and the economic side of things. People will realize that 
we were wrong, not we, but them, were wrong about gold and silver being uh, uh, an outdated asset. They're gonna realize, no, this is incredibly important to our uh, financial picture. It's incredibly important because it offers us a way to, to protect our wealth, preserve our wealth into the future. So anyways, I appreciate uh, the support from every one of you that you showed me just by tuning in today, by listening to this podcast. Uh, as always, thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening and God bless.